0: Well, happy Labor Day weekend to you all. Hope you get to spend some time with your loved ones and rest and relaxation today. I was talking with a, a few folks out in the foyer today and had told them that, uh, you know, my, my kids were asking, what is Labor Day all about? And I said, well, it's a day when you don't labor to celebrate that you do labor. And we, we were, it's a little bit confusing, but, you know, one of the guys had told me, he said, oh, you, sh- you should have told them it's a day when kids all around the world work really hard so their parents don't have to. So I think that's my new stance on Labor Day, and I'm sticking to it, and uh, we'll see how well that connects with all of our kids, right? Well, today, as we enjoy the holiday season here in Colorado, you know that there are millions around the world who are dealing with devastation caused by Hurricane Harvey, and um, this morning we want to take time as a congregation to pray for the victims and for the frontline workers, not only in Houston, but really up and down the Gulf Coast now that have been affected by the storms, uh, we're going to be receiving a special offering next week to go towards immediate relief on the front line there. And many of you remember the offering we received a, a number of months back for the week of compassion and that offering is designated each year to go towards these kind of relief efforts and yet we have an opportunity when, when each disaster comes up to be able to give and contribute uh, towards that offering in in that ministry again and so you'll be able to do that if you wish. We also have an opportunity to partner with Convoy of Hope which is the world's largest Christian disaster relief organization and I know they rolled into Houston about two days before the storm hit so that they could set up and actually help with the evacs and a number of things and so there's multiple ways for us to give And, and maybe today you came ready to give and you'd be able to do that as well today in our offering, and you could just designate relief um, on your check, and you could let us know if you'd like to give towards Convoy of Hope, um, or maybe you'd like to give towards the uh, uh, Week of Compassion as well. But right now, we have uh, Christian organizations that are spread up and down the coast, the Gulf Coast there, ministering relief and hope in the name of Jesus to all of those people. And you think about the, the millions... Literally millions of people that have been affected by this. And this morning, we want to take some time as a congregation to pray for them. Uh, sometime in the next few months, there will probably be an opportunity for those of you who like to get your, your hands dirty and your, your feet wet kind of a deal to where we could get on the ground there, help with the physical cleanup efforts and rebuilding as well. And we'll make sure to pass on some information to you. In those regards, right now, they just tell everybody, please stay away. Um, And it sounds sounds almost, um, I'm not even sure the right word for this. When people say the best thing to do is give money, Um, the best thing to do is pray. But there is another opportunity to give money towards those organizations that are allowed to be there. Right now, if you showed up in a truck, they'd say, Just drop your stuff off and you just need to get out of here. But there will come a day when we're going to be able to be there. And we're going to be able to help with the cleanup efforts and the rebuilding as well. And we're going to share that information with you for sure. But scripture tells us that the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Isn't that a comforting passage right now? It's not that the floods don't come. And you know this in your life. Floods come. Disasters come. And yet, Scripture tells us that God sits enthroned above those things. We'll never really understand why these things are allowed to happen. We're going to touch on this a little bit later in our message today. But we do know that God still reigns. And so we're going to go to him on behalf of the victims there and also those frontline workers today. I'm just going to ask if you guys would join me, um, not just listening to my prayer. I know that sometimes we get lulled into that, hearing somebody pray, but that you would actually engage your hearts together with us today, that we would be the church, and we would go to God on behalf of, of these people who are in a very difficult situation today. Would you guys join with me as we pray? Father, we thank you that you do indeed sit enthroned above all the floods, above all the disasters, above all the challenges in this world. God, we, we come to you right now on behalf of all those who've been affected by Um, Hurricane Harvey, and Lord, we ask that you would minister peace to those who have been displaced and who have lost everything, some of them losing lives of family members, many of them, hundreds of thousands of them losing everything in their homes. God, we ask that you would not only minister peace and hope to them, Father, but also the the comfort and provision that they're going to need right now and in these, these coming months and truly years, Lord that your church would be able to rise up and to, to be the hands and the feet, Lord, to be um, the purse strings of you and to be able to help. God, we also come to you on behalf of those who are still rescuing and ministering to the distressed. And Lord, we pray for their safety as they, um, as they put themselves in physical in, in harm's way, Lord, on behalf of, of those who are in need. God, I pray that you'd be with them. We pray, Lord, that you would keep them safe, that you'd give them wisdom, and that you would um, make, help them to be effective in all of their efforts, Lord. And lastly, Jesus, we pray for all the churches in the affected areas, Lord, that even when they themselves are facing great need, that you would give them the grace to show your love to those who are hurting and truly needing hope right now. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, be praying, not just today, not just in the next week, but this needs to be a part, I'm hoping that you guys have such a healthy prayer routine that you maybe even write down your prayer requests, and uh, this ought to be something that stays on your list for the next 12 months at least, that you're praying that God would help to redeem and restore This situation here. Here at South Suburban, we are gearing up for the launch of our fall campaign. Pastor Joe mentioned it just a a couple of moments ago, called Transformed, and it begins next week. We're excited to see what God's going to do during this season as the church is coming together to seek God for transformation in these seven key areas that we talked about this last week. Jesus promised abundant life to those who seek him, and that's what we're pursuing. Not just Surviving, but thriving in these areas. But you know, it seems like every time we talk about these kinds of, of, not just campaigns, but these these initiatives, these things, motivations inside of us of, let's do this. There's always some kind of a limiter. There's, there's things that you're able to identify that, that kind of hold you back. And there's one of those that I want to talk about today because there's a... A tendency, and I, I'm, I'm not going to step on your toes because I'm sure this isn't you. It's probably the person sitting next to you today. <laughs> we don't usually like to do the work that is often required for genuine growth. We don't. Uh, we, we want the fruit, but we don't want to do the work <laughs> necessary to see it. It's one characteristic of, of humanity that we often seek out the path of least resistance. My wife and I used to live in the Ozarks in Missouri, and, and the highway system there is just one gigantic compromise with the landscape. In fact, it's much like i seventy as you drive west, right? The roads that just kind of uh, twist and curve and make their way around these giant mountains, except for Eisenhower Tunnel, of course. That was not a compromise, was it? That was an intentional long, hard project of doing the tough stuff to see something happen. Oftentimes, Christ followers are lured into looking for the path of least resistance. But it's important to know that compromise is not a tool of progress. And God calls us oftentimes to do the tough work of facing things head on. And and I was just reminded of this just last week as I was in a uh, men's study talking with a gentleman who said, uh, "You know, there there was a, a situation that happened in his life about ten years ago that really had a, a negative effect on his relationship with the Lord. But he just not want to. He didn't want to confront it. It's it, it's painful. It's hard. He wants to bury it. He wants to leave it there. God wants us to be free, and He wants us to be healed. And in order for that to happen," He calls us to face things, and if we'll commit to face things, his power is what will bring the change. In Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21, you'll see it on the screen here, the Apostle Paul writes, I pray that Christ Jesus and the church will forever bring praise to God. His power at work in us can do far more than we dare ask or imagine. Now, there's a couple of keys that I want to look at this morning when it comes to positioning yourself for transformation. We've already talked about this biblical pattern for transformation, but now I want to talk about positioning yourself for transformation. And these are what what, uh, pastors, or what I would call, uh, some bread and butter principles. They're real foundational, they're real plain, but they're so important as we look to see what transformation is. Uh, is going to take. And we're going to jump right into them this morning. The first part of positioning yourself for transformation is receiving and extending forgiveness. Boy, we jumped right in, didn't we? When we talk about the hard work, forgiveness is oftentimes hard work. Receiving forgiveness from God, which oftentimes also involves forgiving yourself, and extending forgiveness to others who have wronged you and why is this so critical it's critical because scripture identifies forgiveness as the key not only to eternal life but also abundant life right now see we look at forgiveness as that most important element that gets us into heaven but as you read through scripture you find out that forgiveness also serves a primary role in experiencing the abundant life here on earth that God's called you to and that he has for you. So we're gonna look at three primary ways that this happens this morning. Number one, forgiveness clears the sin blockage between you and God. Isaiah 59, two tells us that our sins cut us off from God, that they have come between us and our Creator, that it's created a blockage between us and our Father. But Scripture also tells us that when we confess our sins to God, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of that blockage. It's something that's so important when you're saying, "God, I want everything that you have for me," and God says, "But there's something between us." When I go to my wife and I say, "Babe." I want the best marriage possible. And she says, but there's something between us. It's pretty important that we address those things that come between us. And this is what forgiveness is. I want you to look at Romans 5.1 with me this morning. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we now have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When we when we ask for forgiveness and we receive forgiveness, that relationship with God is put back into a holy and clear position. Jesus effectively eliminates that blockage; he removes it. And scripture talks about a, a redeemed relationship with God, a restored relationship with God, that we're at peace with him, that there's, there's nothing, but we're not in conflict with him anymore. And what is it talking about? It's saying that all of that blockage, all of the garbage that came between us and our creator is now gone. We have a direct line from God. Listen, when you want things from God, when you want them to move in your life, When you want his blessings, and we'll talk about that here next, you've got to remove that blockage. But our relationship with others also has an impact, and this is where it gets really difficult, because um, I I want to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you guys, you you wrestle with forgiving yourself at times? It's very difficult. But I would say that that the majority of us, if not 100% of us in this room, wrestle with forgiving others. But scripture tells us something that is very difficult for humanity to reconcile with. And that is that when we choose to not extend forgiveness to someone else, God's not able to extend forgiveness to us. Do you hear that? That is massive in the life of a believer. That when we choose to hold on or to harbor unforgiveness in our hearts, guess what? That blockage is back. God, Scripture says in all of the, in, in all of the Gospels that, that he cannot extend forgiveness to us when we're harboring unforgiveness in our own lives. I can't fully explain why hurt happens, except that we all live in a fallen world. We could try to figure out why it happens, but ultimately what we want is just to be free from hurt, don't we? We want to feel alive and healthy again. We want to feel whole. We don't want to feel the wounds. We don't want to feel the hurt. I mean, I don't want to let what someone else did to me determine what the rest of my life is going to look like. But that's what unforgiveness is. Sometimes it's big things. Sometimes it's small things. Sometimes it's people we've never met. Sometimes it's people very, very close to us. We've all been hurt. And we have all caused hurt in others. But this is where scripture identifies forgiveness as a key. And I want you to listen to this. Forgiveness doesn't undo the hurt. But rather forgiveness heals you from those hurts. And it allows you to move forward in life unhindered. It will never undo them. But it will heal you of those hurts. And that's what we all want, but we often hold on to this unforgiveness, thinking that we're going to somehow leverage it, that we're going to um, hold out, and we're not going to extend it because they hurt us and they don't deserve forgiveness. And let me, let me just ask you this blanket question here. Does anybody deserve forgiveness? No, that's why forgiveness is so important. Is that You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You caused hurt. You did something. Forgiveness is something that we, we offer. It's something that Jesus offers us. And it's something that he calls us to offer others. Maybe you need to make a phone call today or send an email when you get home to extend forgiveness. Maybe you need to literally drive to somebody's house. Maybe you'll just come to a point where deep in the fiber of your being, you say, I will not carry this around with me anymore. But make no mistake about it, receiving and extending forgiveness is important in this abundant life that we're talking about because it clears up the blockage between you and God. The second thing is that it opens you to receive his blessings. It opens you to receive his blessings. I love what Acts 3.19 says. It says, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I want you to, I want you to think about this. There are things that God wants to do in your life. There's a shaping and there's a growing and there's a moving that he wants to do inside of you and once forgiveness happens and that blockage is gone, God's blessings are able to flow in you unrestricted. He's able to bring times of refreshing and blessing into your life. Again, forgiveness is such a key here. Moving on pretty quickly, number, number three, it sets you free to experience abundant life. So it removes this blockage and it allows you to, it opens you up to receive his blessing and it sets you free to move forward in life and experience the abundant life that Jesus has for you. Acts 13 verses 38 and 39 says, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. There's a freedom that happens. And later in the New Testament, Paul echoes this again. And when he writes about the freedom from the sin that so easily entangles us, sin locks us down. It makes us a slave. It puts us in bondage. Forgiveness sets us free to be able to Experience the life that God has for us. I hope you understand how key forgiveness is. Once again, not just in eternal life, but in experiencing the abundant life that God has for you right now. This is part of positioning ourselves for transformation. Forgiveness is key. Now, the second part of positioning yourself for transformation is centering yourself on Christ. And I want to talk about this for a little bit, okay? Any time that a target is put in front of you, I always thought that the objective was to aim for the bullseye. Is there anybody else in here who, who that, is, that is your mentality? All right? That was until I started playing darts with a friend who evidently knows the game of darts, and I learned pretty quickly that there are actually a number of, of spots around the dartboard that people strategically aim for other than the bullseye. Are there any dart players in here and you... You understand what I'm talking about? Okay. Here, here's, a, here's, part of my, here's part of my concern, and, and one of the struggles I had early on in my walk with the Lord, and that is that I, I found this to be the game that many Christians play with God. Rather than trying to hit the bullseye, they try to see how far out on the edges they can be and still be called a believer. They have absolutely no desire to aim for that center point. Guys, there's got to be a desire in us to be as centered on Christ as possible and to stay as far away from the edges as possible. Not looking for permission. I've heard this, this terminology about the permissive will of God and the perfect will of God. I don't know how much that lines up with with Scripture, but I do know this. It's not that I want God to give me permission to do the things I want. I want to be perfectly centered in his will. I want to do exactly the things that he's looking for. So what does it look like to be centered on him? Because abundant life is found in that bullseye. It's found in that center point. What does it look like to be centered on him? Let me give one example disclaimer here before we jump into this okay I'll tell you what it doesn't look like this is important there's somebody who this statement is probably the most important thing that you're going to take away from today okay being centered on Christ doesn't look like perfection and some of you struggle with that none of us are perfect Jesus is perfect That may be our goal, but he's not judging you on your perfection. So that's what it doesn't look like, but let me tell you what being centered on Christ does look like. The first part is number one, it's trusting in his righteousness. Trusting in in his righteousness. As a healthy reminder to all of us this morning, this is not about our goodness. It's not about your goodness. It's about his goodness. This is not about what you have done. It's about what he has done. And when we talk about transformation and the life change that we want to see, this is not about what you can do. This is about what he can do. It's his righteousness. Romans 3.20 says that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by his own works. And then it goes on to say, for God's righteousness is a righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness that was given to us by our faith in Jesus. You know what our righteousness is called? Self-righteousness. No, no, I mean, everybody knows what that indicates. And you know that it gets you nowhere. This is not about our righteousness. It's not about our goodness or our abilities or our strength this is about his look at what Philippians 3 9 says Um, it says I want to gain Christ and I want to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ it's the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith listen this is his righteousness that he gives to us this breastplate of righteousness that you read about in Ephesians is not your self-righteousness. It's about you putting on his righteousness. It's not about your goodness or your, what you deserve. It's about him. And this is what it is to be centered in Christ. It's trusting in his righteousness. This transformation is not something that you're going to deserve It's not something that you're going to earn. It's something that God wants to do for you. And it's based on His righteousness. The second part of centering yourself on Christ is committing to His Word. John tells us in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh. And it dwelt among us, and we beheld its glory. Jesus is the incarnate word of God, the word that became flesh. It's impossible to be committed to Christ without being committed to his word, because they are inseparable. A church that says that they are all about Jesus is a church that holds his word as the highest authority in life. They're committed to his word, and they will not compromise it. I've met many people who claim to be devoted Christ followers, and yet they were not committed to God's word. And that, my friends, is what you call an oxymoron. It contradicts itself. It makes zero sense. Jesus himself said this, if you hold to my word, then you are really my disciples. So my question to you is this, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ, not in name, but in truth? Jesus says only if we hold to his word, being committed to his word. I find it fascinating if you open up a Gideon Bible, maybe when you walk into a a hotel room or something and you pull it out of the nightstand, inside the cover of the Gideon Bible is a a declaration. I want to read it for you. It says, the Bible contains the mind of God. The state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Christ is its grand subject, our good is its design, and the glory of God is its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life. It will be opened at the judgment and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. Being centered in Christ means being committed to his word. The third aspect is this, number three, aligning with his purpose. Aligning with his purpose, what does that mean? Simply put, It means to line up with his plans. Did you know that God has plans for you? God actually has a very specific purpose for your life. Philippians 2.13 tells us it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There's something that God has planned for us. And it's what we're going to discover over the course of this campaign God's purpose for our spiritual health, for our physical health, for our mental health, for our emotional health, for our relational health, for our financial health, for our vocational health. We are aligning with his plans for us in these key areas of our life. And the Bible tells us that God knows the plans that he has for you. They're plans to prosper you. They're plans to give you a future and to give you a hope. And that's what we want to apply to our lives during this campaign, but there are these key elements of positioning that are so important. There are oftentimes I find that, that people will go to the Word of God and they ask the Lord to do all of these things, but they don't position themselves before him. Get rid of the blockage between you and God. Ask for forgiveness, extend forgiveness to others. Center yourself on Christ, his righteousness. It's not about you. It's about him, his word, and aligning yourself with his purpose. We talked at the very beginning about the fact that oftentimes we want the fruit without the work. Sometimes we want the fruit, and we want it on our terms also. God, I want your blessing, but I want to go this way. I know you're calling me over here. I want all of your goodness and all of your blessings, but I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way. Centering yourself on Christ is aligning yourself with his purpose. God, if this is where you're calling me, I'm all in. I want everything that you have for me, and I'm going to position myself for transformation. So here's the elements that we've talked about over the last three weeks. The things that we're asking you to commit to in your own life, that you're gonna commit to in this campaign that starts this next week, that you would, as much as possible, you would attend these services and not miss a single week of the seven-week campaign. That you would participate in some way in a small group, in a community of people who are going to encourage you as you look to transformation. Number three, that you would invite people to join you to be a part of this, that they could experience the same thing. And number four, that you would serve others. Last week, we asked for everybody to fill out a serve card. And if you've not done that yet, I'd ask that you would find a way to still commit to serving people during this campaign. Now, as we close this morning, each week, I come back to this. This is the continued emphasis of the first step in experiencing real life or experiencing abundant life, and that is to give the controls to God. Very simply put, if you have never done that before and you're ready to do it today, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Would you guys bow your heads with me? If you're ready to say yes to Jesus and give God control of your life, I just invite you to pray this this prayer with me today. Say, God, I, I thank you for loving me unconditionally. I thank you for loving me completely. And today, Lord, I choose to give you the control of my life. So Jesus, I ask that you'd please forgive me of my sins. I invite you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. And I ask that you'd give me the strength to follow you all the days of my life. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, as we close up today, I don't want to skip past this. If you prayed that prayer, that was the most important part of this whole service today. As a church, we want to be able to celebrate. We want to be able to support you and pray for you also. And so on the back of your connection card today is a box that that just says, I said yes. It's you said yes. You made a commitment to Christ. And I want to encourage you to just take a moment to check that box and fill it out with with your name so that we can pray for you this week. In just a few moments, after communion and our offering, our elders are going to be up here to pray. We're going to, they're going to be, our prayer teams will be up here just to pray over any of the needs that you are facing today. God is bigger. He's bigger. He's stronger. And he loves you. And we want to pray for you and for your need that you're facing right now. If, if you check that yes card, I want to encourage you to take that card up to one of these prayer teams today. And let them know so that we can start praying for you right away. But that's part of what God calls the church to. That we're not just an assembly of people on a Sunday morning, but we're actually the body. We're a family. And you guys do family well here at South Suburban. Can I get another amen? Who said that? Come on. Yeah. You do family well. Let's, Let's be family. Let's pray for one another. And we want to pray for you if you check that card. In fact, would you guys take a moment as a family and just congratulate those who, who prayed that prayer today? And we're going to wrap up. And as we close this morning, I'm just going to ask that you would um, pray with me one more time before our, our elders come and we go into a, a time of communion. Would you bow your heads? Let's let's pray together. God, as we look to you now for, for growth and for Transformation. Lord, we do so leaning on your righteousness, leaning on your word. And God, we thank you for being alive and active in our life. Lord, we ask that you would grow us, that you would move us, that you would shape us into the image of your Son Jesus in all these different aspects of life, God. We ask that your purposes would be fulfilled in us. And we pray these things. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.